We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the new film, uh, a new classic, I would argue, uh, The Holdovers, starring Paul Giamatti, uh, now available for streaming exclusively on Peacock. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about The Holdovers? Sure. The Holdovers is a film uh, by Alexander Payne. You may know Alexander Payne uh, from other uh, films, uh, including those that star Paul Giamatti, like Sideways. Uh, He was also the director of Election, of The Descendants, of Downsizing. And uh, it was filmed in 2022 um, when it was released, though, uh, after the Toronto Film Festival, Telluride Film Festival. um, It then was bought and was released in theaters in uh, October of this year, but soon by the end of November, it uh, was released on Peacock and it really took on a life of its own um, and had a very limited theatrical release and was really meant to be exclusively streaming as a bit of an artsy film and took on a life of its own and really uh, Paul Giamatti killed in the Golden Globes uh, for for his performance. Uh, The Holdovers is filmed uh, or set in the early 1970s and really filmed to make it look like it was a movie made in the 1970s, both from the intro uh, of of the Universal and the Focus Features logos, also the style of uh, uh, film and photography, filmography, videography that is used Um, Stars Paul Giamatti as a classic teacher at a New England boarding school. Um, And there's this holdovers, the the group of students in the boarding school. I think you mean classics teacher. That's that's what I said, classics. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I thought you used classic as an adjective (laughs) and not a noun. He is both a classic classics teacher. Well, that's that's right. He's a class. He is uh, the kind of teacher that uh, that John Keating, Robin Williams' character from Dead Poet Society, was rebelling against uh, uh, in his style of teaching. Um, so, sort of like an inverse Dead Poet Society. Sure. Um, the holdovers. The only way I can explain what uh, holdovers is. Uh, in a Jewish context, is for those of you who go to Campermad de Rome, if you stay mm. both sessions, intercession, <laughs> you actually have to leave during intercession. You have to leave camp and then come back. Or other camps, if you're there for full session, uh, you know, both sessions, full summer, you stay. This is an intercession between sessions, really during Christmas uh, week break. And That's great. I hadn't thought about that. That's great. For, for the few students who are not being picked up, 
um, they uh, they have to stay and a teacher has to remain with them. So the staff that remains with them is specifically Paul Giamatti's um, Mr. Uh, uh, Hunnam, uh, I believe is how his name is pronounced. You, you have Divine Joy Randolph plays Mary Lamb, who, who's the head cook. She's also a bereaved mother as uh, the movie begins acknowledging her son who died in Vietnam uh, that previous year. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, uh, uh, just like Paul Giamatti, uh, just won a Golden Globe for her performance. They both won Golden Globes for their performance in, in this movie. Divine Joy Randolph for supporting actress and Paul Giamatti for uh, lead actor. Um, and, and then the only other staff that sticks around is uh, Naheem Garcia, who plays Danny, the the, the janitor, the, the custodian. Uh, and it's really centered on the relationship between um, Paul Giamatti's Mr. Hunnam and Dominic Sessa's uh, Angus Tully um, as he becomes the uh, only student in the end who remains for for that holdover session um the movie itself talks about their relationship uh angus tolly uh his mother cancels their family trip with uh his stepfather to saint kitts and so he is left there um and uh mr hanam has uh students exercising and studying and they have to sleep together uh in um i almost called it the marp uh, in, in the infirmary, uh, because that is the only part of the building that is heated over Christmas break. Uh, they end up going to uh, Lydia's party. Um, Lydia is actually uh, played by Carrie Preston, um, who uh, you may know from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Um, and uh, he ends up, uh, Angus Tully ends up kissing Lydia's niece, having some teenager experiences. Um, he tells Mr. Hunnam that his father uh, has uh, passed away. Um, and then he asks to go to Boston. And it turns out the reason he wants to go to Boston is because his, his father is in um, what uh, can only be described uh, at uh, that time in the 70s as, as an asylum. is uh, is in a facility for those who, who have mental illness. Um, and, uh, he was dealing with mental illness and, uh, his mother put him there and forgot about him and moved on, uh, and got remarried. He visits him and, uh, it was not successful because, uh, of the illness that his father is suffering from. Um, and, um, it's, uh, you know, some, some version of some, some form of schizophrenia, it seems like. Yeah. And, and it pains, uh, Angus Tolley as a result, his mother and stepfather find out they complain to the school, to the administration at Barton Academy, the head of school who Paul Giamatti's character butts heads with because he was Giamatti's former students at Barton and, um, Barton, uh, takes the fall. Um, he, he, um, he, he is willing to say it was on him. It, it was uh, his fault. And he ends up leaving. We also find out, um, well, he holds students accountable for lying, um, that there's a certain way to be a Barton man. Uh, we find out that when he encounters one of his former classmates at Harvard, that he actually lied about who he is and what he does, that he actually never graduated from Harvard um, and yet the former head of school of Barton still understood his brilliance um, and and really kept him uh, as as a classmate. Um, 
when school resumes uh, at the end of winter break, um, that is when he realizes uh, that it was an unauthorized visit to Boston, and that's when he, he is fired. Um, and the movie also ends with Mary Lamb, with Divine Joy Randolph's character, coming to terms with the, the grief and loss of her son. Um, and uh, she gives uh, Paul Giamatti's character a, a, a notebook because he's been talking about writing, writing his monograph for a long time. Um, Paul Giamatti's character and Dominic Sessa's character have a heartfelt goodbye, leaves the school, um, and the, the, the movie ends. Really, I think it's it's a a movie about personal growth, both for uh, a, an older adult male Giamatti's character and for uh, a a young adult adolescence coming of age Dominic Sessa's character. Uh, it talks about um, how we grieve family dynamics. Talks about how we yearn for love and acceptance. I, I think so much uh, of um, Mr. Hunnam's character is that he was never in relationship. Um, I think that he he thought, um, you know, at a point that lit Miss Lydia, that Carrie Preston's character, um, had a crush on him until we saw that she were, was kissing her her boyfriend uh, at her Christmas Eve party. Uh, and um, I think there's a bit of that, a bit of loneliness. Um, and loneliness felt by a teenager as well by being left alone over this Christmas break by his family, his family who sent him to this boarding school to begin with uh, and felt a sense uh, of loneliness uh, at the boarding school as well. Uh, this is a movie that was critically acclaimed at film festivals. As you said, it cleaned up in the Golden Globes. Um, Mike, what did you think of the movie? Yeah, so I, right, I, I think that uh, it's it's hard to talk about the movie without talking about a couple of uh, things. You know, first the performances I think uh, across the board were really stellar. Paul Giamatti uh, getting some much deserved attention. Not that he doesn't get attention for for other projects that he's in uh, for this role, but I think that uh, uh, he really uh, uh, perfectly nails uh, the, uh, the 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 the. Um, projected um uh sternness uh to kind of mask his own insecurities and his own isolation um that also kind of fuels his isolation too and he really uh does it uh, extraordinarily uh i didn't quite notice this until the uh till toward the end of the movie but he's able to do this strange thing with his eyes uh, in in the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, he he's he's meant to have um a, like a lazy um, eye. Lazy eye. I, I have to assume it was through contact lens that allowed him to do that. Or or yeah, but it, maybe I don't know how he did that. But uh, but anyway, uh, great performance, Divine Joy Randolph. Great performance. Um, you know, really just all around the performances were great. Um, Alexander Payne's direction here, um, I think is really. Uh, remarkable. I mean, it, it, you know, it really makes the movie feel like it's a movie you've always been with. Um, and, and that's why I think it, you know, I think that he went for, you know, I'm going to create a new classic with this. Uh, and I think he achieved it. Uh, you know, this, this is a movie that, you know, has this you know, sort of timeless feel uh, because it uh, was, was created to look like it was made in the 1970s or, or, or 1980s. Um, and uh, so I think it, it was really, uh, it worked that worked for me uh, and i think that this is a movie that you know will stand the test of time i'll go back and rewatch um and and what i think it has that other 
movies that were actually made in that era or that, you know, that, that, that kind of live on in, in my memory, maybe your memory as, you know, these sort of like timeless come of, coming of age classics, uh, Dead Poet Society being one of them that, you know, strikes as uh, 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 quite similar in, in, in some ways to this film. Um, uh, other, you know, like uh, Steven Spielberg-esque uh, kinds of movies from the 1980s. Um, there is a, a, a cultural, uh, 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 class and racial sensibility and sensitivity in this movie that isn't like an imposition on, you know, a sort of a contemporary value imposition on a time that wasn't really as aware of those uh, concerns or ideas, um, but actually lifts them up as deeply relevant considerations that movies at the time being so, uh, uh, informed by uh, and 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 created by uh, white uh, white people uh, 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 and other people of privilege um that it that it really kind of elevates the experience of people who are less privileged uh, in that time without being you know so heavy-handed about it you know so for example the movie is set in this very elite uh private boarding school where all these wealthy kids coming from wealthy families uh, uh, you know, will will end up going to you know the best colleges and, and universities, not because of the uh, you know not because of, of of their merit, but because of who their parents are. And, and the movie um, begins right by by one of the reasons that Paul Hunnam, that Paul Giamatti's character, is um, really on the bad side of the head of school is because he failed a student of a big right. donor that prevented him from uh, end up going to the Ivy League school he was accepted at uh, because he thinks that grades should be grades and you should be graded based on your skills, not based on uh, how much money your family donated for a library. Right. And and we're made to think toward the beginning of the movie that he that that uh, Mr. Hunnam is is just a hard ass, you know, a, a person of principle uh, who, uh, you know, said your grades are your grades and, and you will be ill served in life if you uh, just, you know, coast by on the on, on the strength of your legacy. Um, and what we realize in the course of it is that, yes, he, he does have those principles, um, but those principles are also informed by his background and his biography, his experience in the world um, that actually, you know, uh, doesn't make those principles less compelling in, in some ways, I think makes them more compelling. Uh, but, uh, um, but the, the, the notion that you're in this place of, of profound privilege um, and divine joy Randolph's character, uh, uh, her son, um, you know, uh, uh, goes to Barton, uh, but is one of the very few Barton men at that time. Anyway, we see that in previous generations, Barton men did go off to war, right? But her son, being a a, a black kid uh, who uh, was there on scholarship, right, and uh, and you know, therefore needed to go into the military to you know to uh, to uh, to be able to afford going to college. Um, uh, uh, unlike most of these other Barton kids, which, al which, which also speaks to um, right at that time before the draft was was immense, right? It, it speaks to um, still even society today that many people enlist in the military in order to bring themselves out of the economic state and status that they grew up in and a chance to use the military as a way to go to college and to get a right. degree in higher education that they otherwise wouldn't um 
I, th- I think that it also speaks volumes. Right. That's that. That's right. Um, and and so I think that the the movie really does a good job of of highlighting you know the ways in which uh, class and race uh, create uh, a, a privilege that is often unacknowledged um, uh, and and perpetuating. Uh, and uh, you know those who are on kind of like the lower rungs um, have to bear the weight. Um, uh, you know to to hold up those who are uh, who who are higher up. You know it's it's. Uh, we're we're in the book of Exodus right now, you know. I think that the pyramids of Egypt uh, are a, a great symbol for um, for that kind of uh, uh, culture and that kind of mentality. That's I think the revolution of Exodus uh, of what the Torah wants to build uh, after liberating the the Israelites from Egypt. Egypt is a society in which you know the 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 underprivileged masses on the bottom um, are expected to hold up the weight of the people on the top. That's why the the pyramid is a great image for it. Um, and the society that the children of Israel are called to build after being liberated from Egypt um, is one that is uh, uh, much uh, uh, flatter, much more egalitarian, uh, in which uh, people support each other, uh, in which people are 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 not um, advanced, you know, on the on the strength of their birth position or their generational wealth, where generational wealth is restructured every 50 years in the the system of, of the Jubilee uh, and, and, and on and on and on. Um, so I think that the movie really does show um, the consequences of, of that kind of inequity and the price of that kind of inequity, right? So you know the, the price of that kind of inequity uh, for... Um, uh, the for for Angus's family um, is that you know the the father is you know shipped off to uh, to to an asylum um, and uh, um, and and Angus has to live with the, uh, the, the 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 shame in a way of um, of being part of a and having to hide the fact that his father is not well right and that's the kind of uh, culture that that he walks in. So there are also part of a generation a to pay. also part of a generation that didn't speak about mental illness, right? right so exactly. much so that at the beginning of the movie he he talks and tells Mr. Hanum that his father is dead. Um be, because uh in a way when somebody is sent to, you know, a sanctorium right to to an asylum uh and suffers from mental illness, he was he was forgotten by his family, his mother remarried um, and, and totally sort of abandon him rather than see mental illness in the same way we would see uh, any other physical ailment or illness. Right. And, and you know, that is uh, the, 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 the way in which mental illness is not, uh, is uh, stigmatized and is not addressed is, is present throughout the movie, right? Uh, Paul Giamatti's character, uh, Mr. Hunnam uh, carries a lot of, uh, uh, residual trauma with him from his upbringing. He's, you know, his uh, from his childhood, his relationship with his parents, um, that comes through in his relationship with his students. Uh, his experience at Harvard uh, comes through in his relationship with his students, but he hasn't really examined this or worked through it. He's just responded to it. Um, you know, Angus has a lot of anger uh, um, uh, uh, given, you know, he's he's a holdover uh, in his own life, right? Not just in the school during winter break, but he's a holdover from his mother's previous relationship uh, trying to navigate, you know, his uh, parents, his, his mother's new relationship and a new, you know, father figure in his life. But he's not addressing any of that. He's not talking about any of that. He has nobody to talk about it with. Um, Divine Joy Randolph's 
uh, character, uh, 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 Mrs. Lamb uh, is Mary uh, Lamb. Mary Lamb uh, is uh, uh, you know she her her grief over her son really only comes out uh, when she gets drunk uh, at a party, um, uh, and you know she. Uh, the, the the relationship that she develops with Mr. Hunnam in being able to kind of like talk about it shows the power of being able to be in relationship with people with whom you can be vulnerable and share about your 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 pain and your grief and your trauma. Uh, but also the movie, I think, does a great job of of, of showing the cost, the high cost of uh, stigmatizing and not addressing um, you know those things that that break us. I think that that's something that that Jewish tradition places front and center, you know, I think Jewish tradition also uh, has been uh, as slow in some ways as the rest of our society to, uh, to, to, uh, to grapple with the reality of, you know, uh, mental health uh, issues. Uh, but in some ways, it was very ahead of its time uh, in, in doing so the, the process of grief in Jewish tradition, uh, I think, uh, is, is particularly symbolic of uh, or emblematic of uh, the way in which Jewish tradition says, you know, we actually confront our grief in the context of community, in the context of relationship. We we don't hide it or ignore it or push it down. We work through it and express it. Um, uh, my teacher uh, uh, and rabbi, Rabbi Sharon Browse, just came out with a, a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and maybe we'll uh, have a conversation in in in, uh, in this podcast. Uh, stay tuned uh, about that book uh, more fully sometime soon. Uh, but I'm putting this out there into the ether uh, to see that you know if, if uh, Rabbi Browse, if you're listening, uh, we'll we'll put you on the show. Uh, but um, but she talks about this really, I think, beautifully. She's clearly one of our millions and millions of listeners. That's right. That's right. She's in there. Um, she's, uh, but she talks about this really beautifully in her new book, the, the Amen effect, um, uh, where, uh, being present within four people, uh, in, in times of uh, pain and suffering and building community where that is possible, uh, is, uh, is, is a deep part of Jewish tradition, uh, that helps us work through, uh, those challenging experiences, uh, and is a theme in this movie, both on the positive side and on the negative side. I want to bring up, you know, Mike, neither you nor I uh, lived during this period, the 1970s. Um, That we know of. That we know of. I want to comment on something that uh, Variety said when this film came out. Um, The film takes place in 1970, the first year of American history's greatest hangover. And the rhythms and look... We talked about the look already. Precisely rendered, lend a bracing authenticity to the proceedings. More important, though, the movie recalls vividly both that era's glorious dreams and stinging cost of idealism. These lonely souls may seem doomed, but they're still trying. And though bearing witness may not always be pretty, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're bearing witness to the experience of a period of time uh, that so many felt that is played out through different people, different life stages, uh, different socioeconomic uh, classes, right? We see that through the characters of Mary Lamb, through the character of Paul Hunnam, through the character uh, of Angus Tully, um, and get a feel and a sense of 
the the idealism, uh, the shattered dreams, but continued idealism um, uh, of each of these characters. Yeah, that's. I, I want to unpack that for a minute because you know that I, I think that that's a really striking take on the movie. Uh, and if you think about you know the let's say half decade even that preceded you know New Year's nineteen seventy, right? You had uh, the the um, advance of and in some ways the collapse of the civil rights movement. Um, uh, several uh, extremely noteworthy and and uh, 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 trying. Uh, Political assassinations, Martin Luther King's assassination in, in 68. Um, RFK. Uh, RFK's assassination in 68. Um, and, uh, uh, and and how the country convulsed really after those uh, after those uh, killings. Um, you know, Vietnam uh, uh, had been ratcheting up for a number of years um, uh, before then and really, you know, sort of hit its crescendo um, in, in, uh, at that time. Um, uh um and um uh, uh that was probably the pinnacle in in a lot of ways of the anti-war movement the anti-war movement had had in some ways toppled the johnson presidency uh already i mean it was really uh a, a time you know a time where like there was optimism uh um and idealism in the early 60s uh that kind of gave way to uh probably a a, a tremendous sense of you know cynicism uh, uh, in the in the late '60s and and um, and maybe even in desperation, despite the fact that in 1969 you also had the moon landing. Um, so really, it's it's a which speaks to that idealism, right? It's a really dizzying time, and I, you know you can see in Barton uh, both the sort of like way of the physical campus, the rules of the campus, who goes to school there. This is a community, a culture that was built to buttress. Uh, a certain group of people from the impact uh, of the outside world and from having to really engage with the challenges of the, of the outside world to insulate them from it. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so what we're, what, what we experience is the, um, uh, what it does to people, um, uh, how, how idealism can be born um, of not having to confront the real challenges that exist in the outside world. Like all those, you know, eighteen-year-old uh, Barton kids um, are are perfectly idealistic, right? They're going to go off to great colleges and they're going to have great jobs and great lives, and you know, anything is possible for for them. Um, and we see the reality that at least for you know, for Mr. Hanna, for Angus, for uh, for for uh, Miss Lamb, uh, that's not true uh, for them. So you see the presence of that in their world. Um, and I and you know it reminds me of uh, this uh, uh, powerful passage in, in the Talmud uh, where it says that um, uh, Elijah used to uh, commonly visit a certain man um, until the man built um, a, a a guardhouse with a locking door, uh, and uh, and Rashi asks why is it that Elijah stops visiting him uh, when he builds a, a a gatehouse with a with a guard and a locking door, and and Rashi answers. That it's because he could no longer hear the voice of the poor um, who were calling out for help, right? And so, uh, 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 you know, the, I, I, you can see, you know, building in this time um, and, you know, gives rise throughout the 1970s to, you know, a, a growing uh, uh, segregation between 
between the haves and the have-nots and a widening of uh, of, of wealth uh, inequality and, uh, and and entrenching of generational wealth even more so uh, um, than, than had already existed in American history. I mean, the, the period from World War II to, you know, let's say 1969 was actually a period of of shrinking economic inequality. And then uh, it starts to grow beyond that. And I think that you can see some of the seeds of that in this little microcosm uh, that um, uh, that Alexander Payden builds with, with Barton of, uh, of, of saying, you know, we want to protect our privilege um, and, uh, and, and insulate our, ourselves against the vicissitudes of the outside world um, and um, how corrupting that is for the people who benefit from it um, and how harmful it is to the people who don't benefit from it. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's fair. It's also, I think what this movie tells is how um, when you create a society within Barton um, or present it as Barton Academy, how easy it is for us to create a bubbles within our own community um right we're taught alti frost minati bore that right hill says that you should not separate yourself from community but we i think often reinterpret what that means is that community specifically the kihila kadosha what do we mean by tibor there's tibor there's kahal there's ada right there are different definitions of community, certainly uh, Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, former chief rabbi uh, of Great Britain, would talk about these different definitions. And at times, we as Jews understand community as Tibor, as Kahal, and as Ada. And when we talk about don't separate yourself from community, what does that mean? Lydia criticizes Mr. Hunnam of never leaving Barton's campus. Uh, and he says, no, nah, sometimes I, I go into town if I need to go to the market. Right, that that that's the extent, and we feel a sense of safety within our community. But we also, uh, I think about that a lot lately, of how we want to surround ourselves in Jewish community by those who uh, have the same views as us. That that's comforting, um, but also uh, it's sheltering. Uh, but also, it's not reality. It's not the world. And at times, we we need to build bridges. There's criticism. At the beginning of the movie by the students, the fact that Mr. Hunnam invites Mary Lamb to sit at the table and eat with them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the students are saying, she's the help. Like, she cooks for us. Why would she eat with us? Uh, and at the end of the movie, uh, they're they're all watching, you know, um, whatever game show it is, the newlywed game, I, I think it is. Uh, they're, they're watching that together um, and socializing together and, and talking as if they're all on the same level. Uh, community is the bubbles we create, but it's also breaking down barriers to understand the larger community that we're a part of. Yeah. Can we uh, switch gears and, and talk about the uh, what this movie says or doesn't say or the questions it raises about um, about education uh, and about the teacher-student relationship, the mentor-mentee relationship, because I know that's something that you and I have have spoken a lot about, that that we uh, sometimes think a lot about uh, in in terms of how we teach Torah, especially to to young people, um, and and how we rabbi uh, in the world. And I think that this movie, obviously, you know, it's it's the most immediate uh, theme and and um, uh, uh, aspect of the plot of the movie is 
how uh, Mr. Hunnam teaches, uh, the relationship he has with his students and then develops with, with Angus. Um, and, you know, it strikes me, and we've talked about this before, Jesse, I'm wondering if you uh, have any thoughts about this. Uh, for quite some time, I think that the shift in uh, in, in Jewish education was more toward the, you know, John Keating model, the Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society model of, you know, we want to um, stir the hearts of students and, and you know, make them fall in love with, uh, with, with Judaism and, um, and, and see the, the joy and the beauty uh, in it, even if it means that they're not acquiring quite as much content as uh, might have been expected of them in previous generations, the shift from uh, a sort of content focused model of of education, uh, of imparting, you know, sort of hierarchical imparting knowledge um, to a more uh, um, emotional experience based uh, form of, of of education, right? And we uh, think about that in the in the realm of, you know, uh, Maybe the pedagogical model is, you know, right? That you should love God. Um, whereas the uh, Mr. Hunnam model of education um, is very much in the sort of top-down hierarchical. Um, no, it's my job to make sure that you actually know something about something. Um, that there's a body of knowledge that you should leave here. Uh, 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 having learned, and I'm going to hold you to you know high standards and high expectations um, about what you uh, uh, about what you learn or, or don't learn, and not let anybody uh, off the hook for what they don't know. Um, and in that, also um, an expectation of a sort of you know uh, moral disposition, moral formation, which includes the discipline of study and academic integrity, but other things as well. Um, and it doesn't really matter you know how much you liked it or didn't like it. Um, how 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 it made you feel or doesn't make you feel. It just matters whether you, uh, wh whether you know it and, and can uh, talk about it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, um, I think that ultimately the, the movie, you know, obviously there's a softening that Mr. Hunnam has in, in the course of the movie, he ends up right. losing his job and, and so on and so forth. But, um, but, but it is a question that I, that I find myself increasingly thinking about and wrestling with um, as a rabbi and as a as a Jewish educator, as someone who who thinks about uh, especially youth education, um, about um, which is uh, uh, which is the right model, or maybe neither is the right model, or some hybrid is the right model uh, to, uh, to to employ when we're thinking about how to um, uh, inspire and guide the next generation of Jews or even adult Jewish learners. Yeah, we famously. Uh teach uh, from Perker Vote what uh, Yoshua ben Prachia says, right? He says that that, that you, you uh, find yourself a rabbi and acquire for yourself a friend. Uh, the idea that a teacher uh, you're meant to be in relationship with, it's not meant to be a simply top-down model. Uh, one thing that we learn is that um, when we look at the Chavruta model of learning, Right, the the traditional idea of how we learn text in Judaism, the idea of the Chavruta model is that both partners in that zug, in that pair, are both student and teacher. And it's that we have something to teach, but we also have something to learn. And at the beginning of the film, Mr. Hanum, this top-down model was solely, I have all the knowledge, you have no knowledge, and my job and responsibility is to teach you the knowledge, and yours is to acquire that knowledge. The end of the film, it's clear, right, that he was learning from students, right? Even something that was very adolescent and silly of like, 
Angus Tolley saying, you know, you kind of smell and the students talk about that, like you have body odor, right? It seems silly, but but it's you're you're learning life skills from your students. Um, you know, <clears throat> is there a difference as a rabbi in this than let's say as a camp counselor? The, 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 the ideal camp counselor is somebody who both is able to be a dugma, set an example, a, a, a mentor uh, of sorts. And um, an older sibling, right? So the, that's that's the ideal uh, camp counselor, the older sibling where you have a sense of authority and responsibility, but you also can develop a, a, a friendship with that camper. I also think that part of what we try to do in Judaism, part of what I encourage our, our uh, students to do, whether that's been a mitzvah, whether that's adults, is ask questions. We are a people who ask questions. Uh, first and foremost, we don't always have all the answers, but we want to ask the questions. And what Mr. Hanam begins the movie with the idea that these are all the answers that you have to have, with re regardless of what the questions are. Um, it's not about asking more questions, it's about knowing the answers. And I think in Judaism, uh, where we are swimming in a sea of learning, where we never know everything, it's about asking the questions. My teacher, Rabbi uh, Bill Lebo, who was the dean of rabbinical school at the Jewish Logical Seminary when I started, uh, told us the first day of rabbinical school orientation that he woke up on the 30th anniversary of his ordination and began to cry because he realized how much he did not know. That was mm -hmm. a very humbling experience as somebody who was beginning their rabbinic uh, journey because it's the idea that we will never have all the answers, but that doesn't mean we stop learning and that doesn't mean we stop asking questions. Mike, what's your vision of, of the the mentor, the teacher-student uh, Listen, really I, th I think you've said it. I think you've said it really beautifully, uh, and I, especially I want to hold up what you what you just offered there. And I think that that's actually present in in the movie too. I think that the growth, um, the arc of, uh, of of Mr. Hunnam's character is that eventually he learns um, that not everything can be learned out of a textbook and in a classroom. Um, and uh, uh, you know, he he learned from his student, um, and he was willing to give of himself. For his student, I think that that is something uh, that our, our tradition would say that the relationship between uh, teacher and student um, should be um, uh, should be significant. You know, shouldn't is is not is not transactional. There's a covenantal aspect to the relationship between teacher and student, and that's something that uh, Mr. Hunnam has to come to learn in the course. He's not just he, he, his job is not just to uh to you know uh impart knowledge transactionally to his students it's actually to uh, uh forge a connection with them uh that will uh um inspire them to continue learning and growing to create the context for ongoing learning uh, but so he you know i think that's the significance of him sort of like going off and traveling the world and writing his book not knowing how he's going to write his book or what he's going to even say um is that you know he he uh, comes to learn that there's more to learning than just what you'll get out of a, a textbook or in a classroom. Um, at the same time, I think it's really important to say, you know, creating the creating the the, the context for ongoing learning requires some degree of empowerment, um, uh, not not just uh, uh, passion for uh, uh, the, the 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 material, uh, but also 
an acquisition of enough of the material that you have the tools that you need to keep on going um, to pursue the thing that you're passionate about. And that I think is the dance. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it may not be an, uh, there may not be a simple algorithm for it. it may be different for every student. I do think that, you know, uh, that, that, that means as a, as an educator and so insofar as a rabbi, as an educator, um, I have a responsibility, you know, not just to, um, uh, forge a connection with congregants, with students, uh, and, uh, in a way that, you know, inspires them to love and continue growing in their in their Jewish learning in their Jewish journey, um, but also that provides them the the tools that they will need to be able to engage in that in an ongoing way in a way that's sort of like self perpetuating and self reinforcing. So I I uh, I think that you know probably gone or at least temporarily anyway gone are the days where where we see the role of an educator um, as uh, you know uh, the uh, hierarchical authoritarian you know passive imparting knowledge into the empty vessel of the passive student um that they're that that the teacher-student relationship is active on both sides is conversational on both sides and the role of the teacher um is is both to um uh, uh, inspire a love of ongoing learning a, a curiosity to to honor the questions uh, that are coming from the students to honor the answers that the student has to to their own and the teacher's questions um and and also to provide the resources that are needed for the student to continue to acquire knowledge in the immediate context but also to pursue knowledge beyond that and I will say from a synagogue perspective, um, th our greatest challenge uh, going forward for all synagogues is how we evolve supplementary education, how we evolve Hebrew school learning. Because I think traditionally Hebrew school learning was the top-down model. It was called supplementary school, as uh, the great educator Issa Aaron said, is because it was meant to supplement what was done in the home. And for many, the synagogue becomes uh, the sole place where Jewish education takes place, where we're reliant on the synagogue for that experience. A and um, we need to change the way synagogue education works so it's not the top-down model especially when for many synagogues it's not necessarily trained jewish educators who serve in the role of teaching our children uh, in hebrew school and teaching them jewish experience and jewish education it's devoted and committed and knowledgeable jews but not necessarily those with a jewish educational background uh not just rabbis like you and me but all those in the field of jewish education we need to think differently and how we educate our children. That's a really great point and something that I think is really present in uh, in in the holdovers because of the setting, right? The setting is this um, uh, this boarding school where you know all of the information, all of the learning is in this kind of like self-contained bubble, uh, and you know the parents outsource essentially their responsibility to raise their children to these uh, to to these teachers and I, I i that's not to say that there isn't some value in those kind of immersive environments um uh that's you know not to you know paint uh boarding schools the broad brush I, you know i think that there's that there's certainly good models of that um but it but it does uh, i think signify the value and importance of um of, of reinforcing that learning and those values uh 
uh, at home as well as at school. I think that that's one thing that's missing. You know, why why the kids are so excited to leave Barton, right? Uh, because, you know, they get to have an actual, they get to have a vacation, they get to have fun, they get, you know, their and their parents don't have to impose those rules on them there. They could fly them off in a helicopter and then drop them back off. Um, and what they learn at Barton doesn't have to have any impact on the way they live in the in the wider world. And they have no expectation that it will. It's just a it's just a means to get them ahead. But it shouldn't be that, right? It shouldn't be that right. your experience is one in one place and totally different in another. It's that we should this is the idea of community, of broader community, that we should create an experience for everybody to feel uh the same way. Um to have the same learning, the same spirituality, the same kavana or intention, regardless of where they are. Amen. And I just add to that, right? That's one thing that uh, that the Barton kids don't know and that Barton as an environment doesn't do well is foster a real sense of community among the students. It's all, you know, they're all fighting with one another uh, and, and trying to one-up one another. Um, and what would it have looked like um, if, uh, it, you know, I think that this is Mr. Hunnam's vision in some way, right? That it is a, that it is a kibbutz, right? It is a real community, uh, uh that, that, that exists there, um, and that they should act like it toward each other. Uh, and what would that look like to have a real community of learning and growth together? Um, and not just a, you know, not just a, uh, you know, a factory, uh, to move people through an educational system so that they can go to the best colleges and then have the highest paying jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let us know what uh, you think of the holdovers, certainly the Golden Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press. Let us know uh, with the awards that the movie received. I hope uh, there is no are... Hollywood Foreign Press Association oh, anymore. Sure. So who who decides the, the winner of the Golden Globes? Some, I don't know. Some Anyway, it's some press association. But in any case, uh, we're, we're going to get the Oscar nomination soon. I suspect we'll be uh, seeing more from the holdovers and, and Paul Giamatti in particular uh, when the Oscar nominations are announced as well. I suspect that as well. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone.